0: chapter 8 of the andes and the amazon this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the andes and the amazon by james orton chapter 8 the volcanoes of ecuador western cordillera chimborazo Ilaniza, corazon pichincha descent into its crater. Coming up Peru through the Chinchona forests of Loya, and over the barren hills of Osoe, the traveler reaches Rium Baba, seated on the threshold of magnificence, like Damascus, an oasis in a sandy plain, but unlike the Queen of the East, surrounded with a splendid retinue of snowy peaks that look like icebergs floating in a sea of clouds. On our left is the most sublime spectacle in the New World. It is a majestic pile of snow, its clear outline on the deep blue sky describing the profile of a lion in repose at noon the vertical sun and the profusion of light reflected from the glittering surface will not allow a shadow to be cast on any part so that you can easily fancy the figure is cut out of a mountain of spotless marble this is Chimborazo, yet not the whole of it you see but a third of the great giant his feet are as eternally green as his head is everlastingly white but they are far away beneath the bananas and cocoa palms of the pacific coast rousseau was disappointed when he first saw the sea and the first glimpse of niagara often fails to meet one's expectations but chimborazo is sure of a worshipper the moment its overwhelming grandeur breaks upon the traveler you feel that you are in the presence chamber of the monarch of the andes there is sublimity in his kingly look of which the ocean might be proud all that expands the spirit yet appalls gathers round the summit as if to show how earth may pierce to heaven yet leave vain men below Well do we remember our disappointment as we stood before that wonder of the world, St. Peter's. We mounted the pyramid of steps and looked up, but were not overcome by the Magnificent. We read in our guidebook that the edifice covers eight acres, and that the tip-top of the cross is almost five hundred feet, that it took three hundred and fifty years and twelve successive artists to finish it, and an expenditure of fifty million dollars, and now costs thirty thousand dollars per annum to keep it in repair. Still we did not appreciate its greatness. We pushed aside the curtain and walked in, walked a day's journey across the transept and up and down the everlasting nave, and yet continued heterodox. We tried hard to believe it was very vast and sublime, and knew we ought to feel its grandeur, but somehow we did not. Then we sat down by the Holy of Holies, and there we were startled into better judgment by the astounding fact that the Cathedral of St. Paul, the largest edifice in Great Britain, could stand upright, spire, dome, body and all, inside of St. Peter's, that the letters of the inscription which run around the base of the dome though apparently but an inch, are in reality six feet high. Then, for the first time, the scales fell from our eyes. The giant building began to grow, higher and higher still it rose, longer and deeper it expanded, then in perfect proportions. The colossal structure, now a living temple, put on its beautiful garments and the robe of majesty. And that dome, the longer we looked at it, the vaster it grew, till finally it seemed to be a temple not made with hands, the spacious canopy became the firmament, the mosaic figures of cherubim and seraphim were endowed with life, and as we fixed our eyes on the zenith, where the Almighty is represented in glory, we thought we had the vision of Stephen. Long we gazed upward into this heaven of man's creation, and gazed till we were lost in wonder. But the traveller needs no such steps to lift him up to the grand conception of the divine architect as he beholds the great white dome of Chimborazo. It looks lofty from the very first. Now and then an expanse of thin, sky-like vapor would cut the mountain in twain, and the dome, Islanded in the deep blue of the upper regions, seemed to belong more to heaven than to Earth. We knew that Chimborazo was more than twice the height of Etna. We could almost see the great Humboldt struggling up the mountain side till he looked like a black speck moving over the mighty white, but giving up in despair four thousand feet below the summit. We see the intrepid bolivar mounting still further, but the hero of Spanish-American independence returns a defeated man. Last of all comes the philosophic Boult and attains the prodigious elevation of 19,600 feet, the highest point reached by man without the aid of a balloon, but the dome remains unsullied by his foot. Yet none of these facts increase our admiration. The mountain has a tongue which speaks louder than all mathematical calculations. There must be something singularly sublime about Chimborazo, for the spectator at Rio Bamba is already 9,000 feet high, and the mountain is not so elevated above him as Mont Blanc above the Vale of Chambuani, when in reality that culminating point of Europe would not reach up even to the snow limit of Chimborazo by 2,000 feet. It is only while sailing on the Pacific that one sees Chimborazo in its complete proportions. Its very magnitude diminishes the impression of awe and wonder, for the Andes on which it rests are heaved to such a vast altitude above the sea that the relative elevation of its summit becomes reduced by comparison with the surrounding mountains. Its altitude of 21,420 feet, or forty-five times the height of Strasbourg Cathedral, or, to say it otherwise, the fall of one pound from the top of Chimborazo would raise the temperature of water thirty degrees. One-fourth of this is perpetually covered with snow, so that its ancient name, Chimborazo, the Mountain of Snow, is very appropriate. It is a stirring thought that this mountain, now mantled with snow, once gleamed with volcanic fires. There is a hot spring on the north side, and an immense amount of debris covers the slope below the snow limit, consisting chiefly of fine-grained iron-stained trachyte and coarse porphyrite gray trachyte, very rarely a dark vitreous trachyte. Chimborazo is very likely not a solid mountain. Trachytic volcanoes are supposed to be full of cavities. Broger found it made the plumb line deviate seven minutes or eight minutes. The valleys which furrow the flank of Chimborazo are in keeping with its colossal size. Narrower, but deeper than those of the Alps, the mine swoons and sinks in the effort to comprehend their grim majesty. The mountain appears to have been broken to pieces like so much thin crust, and the strata thrown on their vertical edges, revealing deep dark chasms that seem to lead to the confines of the lower world. The deepest valley in Europe, that of the Ordesa in the Pyrenees, is thirty-two hundred feet deep, but here are rents in the side of Chimborazo in which Vesuvius could be put away out of sight. As you look down into the fathomless fissure, you see a white fleck rising out of the gulf, and expanding as it mounts, till the wings of the condor, fifteen feet in spread, glitter in the sun, as the proud bird fearlessly wheels over the dizzy chasm, and then, ascending above your head, sails over the dome of Timborazo. Could the condor speak what a glowing description could he give of the landscape beneath him, when his horizon is a thousand miles in diameter? If twelve fair counties saw the blaze from Malvern's lonely height, what must be the panorama from a height fifteen times higher? Chimborazo was long supposed to be the tallest mountain on the globe, but its supremacy has been supplanted by Mount Everest in Asia, and Alconcogua in Chile. In mountain gloom and glory, however, it still stands unrivaled. The Alps have the avalanche, the thunderbolt of snow, and the glaciers. These icy Niagara are so beautiful and grand. Here they are wanting. The monarch of the Andes sits motionless in calm serenity and unbroken silence. The silence is absolute and actually oppressive. The road from Guayaquil to Quito crosses Chimborazo at the elevation of 14,000 feet. Save the rush of the trade wind in the afternoon, as it sweeps over the Andes, not a sound is audible. Not the hum of an insect, not the chirp of a bird, not the roar of the puma, not the music of running waters. Mid-ocean is never so silent. You can almost hear the globe turning on its axis. There was a time when the monarch deigned to speak, and spoke with a voice of thunder, for the lava on its sides is an evidence of volcanic activity. But ever since the morning stars sang together over man's creation, Chimbo has sat in sullen silence, satisfied to look from his throne of clouds or half the world. There is something very suggestive in this silence of Chimborazo. It was once full of noise and fury. It is now a completed mountain, and thunders no more. How silent was Jesus, a completed character! The reason we are so noisy is that we are so full of wants. We are unfinished characters. Had we perfect fullness of all things, the beatitude of being without a want, we should lapse into the eternal silence of God. Chimborazo is a leader of a long train of ambitious crags and peaks, but as he who comes after the king must not expect to be noticed, we will only take a glimpse of these lesser lights as we pass up the western cordillera and then down the eastern. The first, after leaving the monarch, is Carguerriazo. The Indians call it the wife of Chimborazo. They are separated only by a very narrow valley. One hundred and seventy years ago the top of this mountain fell in, and torrents of mud flowed out containing multitudes of fishes. It is now over 17,000 feet high, and is one of the most alpine of the Catonian volcanoes, having sharp pinnacles instead of the smooth trachyte domes, usually double domes, so characteristic of the Andean summits. And now we pass in rapid succession numerous picturesque mountains, some of the extinct volcanoes, as Ilizina, presenting two pyramidal peaks, the highest 17,000 feet above the sea, and Corazon, so named from its heart-shaped summit, to we reach pichincha whose smoking crater is only five miles distance in a straight line from the city of quito or eleven by the travel route the crown of this mountain presents three groups of rocky peaks the most westerly one is called ruca pichincha and alone manifests activity to the northeast of ruca is guagua pichincha a ruined flue of the same fiery furnace and between the two is cundar guachana pichincha is the only volcano in ecuador which is not a true cone crater some violent eruption beyond the reach of history or tradition has formed an enormous funnel-shaped basin twenty-five hundred feet deep fifteen hundred feet in diameter at the bottom and expanding upward to a width of three-fourths of a mile it is the deepest crater on the globe that of Kilauea is six hundred feet orizaba five hundred etna three hundred hecla one hundred vesuvius is a portable furnace in comparison the abyss is girt with a ragged wall of dark trachyte which rises on the inside at various angles between forty-five degrees and perpendicularity. As we know of but one American besides the members of our expedition, Mr. Farad, a photographer, who has succeeded in entering the crater of this interesting volcano, we will give a brief sketch of our visit. Leaving Quito in the afternoon by the old arch gateway at the foot of Pintachillo, and crossing a spur of the mountain, we stopped for the night at the Jesuit hacienda situated in the beautiful Valley of Loa, but nearly ruined by the earthquake of eighteen fifty nine on the damp walls of this monastery perched ten thousand two hundred and sixty eight feet above the ocean we found several old paintings among them a copy of the visitation by rubens the sunset views in this heart of the andes were surpassingly beautiful mounting our horses at break of day and taking an indian guide we ascended rapidly by a narrow and difficult path through the forest that belts the volcano up to the height of twelve thousand feet emerging gradually into a thicket of stunted bushes, and then entered the dreary Paramo. Splendid was the view of the eastern cordillera. At least six dazzling white volcanoes were in sight just across the valley of Quito, among them table-topped Cayumbi, majestic Adesana, and princely Cotopaxi, whose tapering summit is a mile above the clouds. Toiling upward, we reached the base of the cone, where vegetation ceased entirely, and tying our horses to some huge rocks that had fallen from the mural cliff above, started off on hands and feet for the crater the cone is deeply covered with sand and cinders for about two hundred feet and the sides are inclined at an angle of about thirty five degrees at ten o'clock we reach the brim of the crater and the great gulf bursts suddenly into view we can never forget the impression made upon us by the sight we speak of many things here below as awful but that word has its full meaning when carried to the top of pincinja there you see a frightful opening in the earth's crust nearly a mile in width and half a mile deep and from the dark abyss comes rolling up a cloud of sulphurous vapours. Monte Soma in the time of Strabo was a miniature, but this crater is on top of a mountain four times the height of the Italian volcano. Imagination finds it difficult to conceive a spectacle of more fearful grandeur or such solemn magnificence. It well accords with Milton's picture of the bottomless pit, the united effect of the silence and the solitude of the place, the great depth of the cavity, the dark precipitous sides, and the column of smoke standing over an unseen crevasse was to us more impressive than thundering cotopaxi or firing vesuvius humboldt after standing on this same brink exclaimed i have never beheld a grander or more remarkable picture than that presented by this volcano and la Condamine compared it to the chaos of the poets below us are the smouldering fires which may any moment spring forth into a conflagration around us are black rugged cliffs fit boundary for this gateway to the infernal regions They look as if they had just been dragged up from the central furnace of the earth. Life seems to have fled in terror from the vicinity. Even lichens, the children of the bare rock, refuse to clothe the scattered and beetling crags. For some moments, made mute by the dreadful sight, we stood like statues on the rim of the mighty cauldron, with our eyes riveted on the abyss below, lost in contemplating that which cannot be described. The panorama from this lofty summit is more pleasing but equally sublime toward the rising sun is the long range of the eastern Cordillera, hiding from our view the great valley of the amazon to right and left are the peaks of another procession of august mountains from cotopaxi to chimborazo we are surrounded by the great patriarchs of the andes and their speaker cotopaxi ever and anon sends his muttering voice over the land the view westward is like looking down from a balloon those parallel ridges of the mountain chain dropping one behind the other are the gigantic staircase by which the ice-crowned chimborazo steps down to the sea a white sea of clouds covers the peaceful Pacific and the lower parts of the coast, but the vapory ocean, curling into the ravines, beautifully represents little coves and bays, leaving islands and promontories like a true ocean on a broken shore. We seem raised above the earth, which lies like an open map below us. We can look down on the upper surface of the clouds, and were at night, down too upon the lightning. The crater of Pinchincha has a sharp serrated edge, which, happily for Quito, is broken down on the west side so that in the next eruption, the volcano will doubtless pour its contents into the wilds of Esmeraldas. The highest pinnacle is 15,827 feet, so that the mountain just enters the region of perpetual winter. Water boils at 185 degrees. The summit is generally bare, though snow is always found in the clefts of the rocks. It is not compact or crystalline, but resembles a conglomerate of little hailstones. Out of the mingled snow and pumice dust rise a few delicate flowers, particularly the violet ceta of the same which we had observed on the side of Chimborazo. Think of gay flowers a thousand feet higher than the top of Mont Blanc. The first to reach the brink of the crater were the French Academicians in 1742. Sixty years after, Humboldt stood on the summit. But it was not till 1844 that anyone dared to enter the crater. This was accomplished by Garcia Moreno, now President of Ecuador, and Sebastian Vizet, a French engineer. Humboldt pronounced the bottom of the crater inaccessible from its great depth and precipitous descent we found it accessible but exceedingly perilous the moment we prepared to descend our guide ran away we went on without him but when half-way down we were stopped by a precipice on the twenty second of october eighteen sixty seven we returned to Pinchincha with another guide and entered the crater by a different route manuel our indian led us to the south side and over the brink we went we were not long in realizing the danger of the undertaking here the snow concealed an ugly fissure or covered a treacherous rock for nearly all the rocks are crumbling there we must cross a mass of loose sand moving like a glacier down the almost vertical side of the crater, and on every hand rocks were giving way, and gathering momentum at each revolution went thundering down, leaving over precipices and jostling other rocks which joined in the race, till they all struck the bottom with a deep rumbling sound, shivered like so many bombshells into a thousand pieces, and telling us what would be our fate if we made a single misstep. We followed our Indian in single file, keeping close together that the stones set free by those in the rear might not dash those below from their feet, feeling our way with the greatest caution, clinging with our hands to snow, sand, rock, tufts of grass, or anything that would hold for a moment, now leaping over chasm, now letting ourselves down from rock to rock, at times paralyzed with fear, and always with death staring us in the face. Thus we scrambled for two hours and a half, till we reached the bottom of the crater. Here we found a deeply furrowed plain, strewn with ragged rocks, and containing a few patches of vegetation, with half a dozen species of flowers. In the center is an irregular heap of stones, 260 feet high by 800 in diameter. This is the cone of eruption, its sides and summit covered with an imposing group of vents, 70 in number, all lined with sulfur, and exhaling steam, black smoke, and sulfurous gas. The temperature of the vapor just within the fumarole is 184 degrees, water boiling beside it at 189 degrees. The central vent, or chimney, gives forth a sound like the violent bubbling of boiling water as we sat on this fiery mount surrounded by a circular rampart of rocks and looked up at the immense towers of dark dolerite which ran almost vertically to the height of twenty five hundred feet above us musing over the tremendous force which fashioned this awful amphitheatre spacious enough for all the gods of tartarus to hold high carnival The clouds which hung in the thin air around the crest of the crater pealed forth thunder after thunder, which, reverberating from precipice to precipice, were answered by the crash of rocks let loose by the storm, till the whole mountain seemed to tremble like a leaf. Such acoustics, mingled with a flash of lightning and the smell of brimstone, made us believe that we had fairly got into the realm of Pluto. It is a spot where Dante's Inferno ought to be read. Finishing our observations, and warming our dinner over the steaming crevasses, we prepared to ascend. The escape from this horrid hole was more perilous than the entrance, and on reaching the top we sang, with grateful hearts, to the tune of Old Hundred, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We doubt whether that famous tune and glorious doxology were ever sung so near to heaven. The second line, Praise Him all creatures here below, had a strange meaning fifteen thousand feet high. There have been five eruptions of Pichincha since the conquest. The last was 1660 that of 1566 covered quito three feet deep with ashes and stones while boiling water and bitums ascended in torrents in eighteen sixty seven the column of smoke did not rise above the crest of the crater but the volcano has lately been showing signs of activity such as it has not exhibited since the last grand eruption two centuries ago on the nineteenth of march eighteen sixty eight detonations were audible at quito and three days after there were more thunderings with a great column of vapour visible from chilo twelve miles to the east These phenomena were accompanied by an unusual fall of rain. Since the great earthquake of August 16th, Pinchincha has continued to send forth dense clouds of black smoke and so much fine sand that it is not possible to reach the crater. The solid products of Pinchincha since the conquest have been chiefly pumice, coarse-grained and granular trachyte, and reddish porphyrite trachyte. The roads leading to Quito cut through hills of pumice dust. On the plain of Iliquito and in the valley of Esmeraldas are vast erratic blocks of trachyte, some containing twenty-five cubic yards, having sharp angles, and in some cases a polished, unstyrated surface. M. Vizet does not consider them to have been thrown out of Vincenja, as Locomindier and others have judged. It is true, as he says, that they could not have come out of the present cone at an angle less than forty-five degrees, for they would have hit the sides of the high rocky rampart and rolled back again, and at a higher angle they would not have reached their present location, but we see no reason why they could not be the upper portion of the solid trachyte cone blown into the air at the great eruption which cleared out this enormous crater. There is a rumipalma, or field of stones, around each of the Catonian volcanoes. Leaving Pinchincha, we travel northward along the battlemented Andes, passing by the conical mountains of Yanaorku and Kodatachi. Yanaorku, or Black Mountain, is a mass of calcinated rocks. Kodatachi, from Cota and kachi, salt, is always snow-clad. On its side is Cococha, one of the highest lakes in the world, 10,200 feet, and formed by the subsidence of a part of the volcano. End of chapter 8 Recording by Todd